Good morning, everybody. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but out in the foyer, we have a picture of Tom Sanger because we want to honor Tom Sanger on February 27th, present him with a gift, thanking him for his many years of service here in our admin and all the ways. And so on your way out or throughout the week for this until the 27th, be thinking of an encouraging message, a word, a prayer, um, I don't know, a word of knowledge. I don't know, whatever God would, whatever the Holy Spirit would give you and write a note. If you have any old pictures of Tom in sombrero hats or <laughs> all the myriad of different costumes we've seen Tom in throughout the years, I don't know, send us your pictures and we're compiling them in a binder because Tom is famous for his binders. So we're putting them all, we're hoping to stuff a binder full of goodies to send off with Tom Singer. So that's in the foyer. Um, a few years ago, I visited my sister in Malaysia. Jane was in preschool at this time. And my mother-in-law and my parents and Aaron were all home with her. She was very safe, but I was gone for about 10 days because I went to see her in Malaysia and then, and my niece and nephew. And then my sister and I went with the missions organization there with to a women's retreat in Thailand. And my purpose was to go and encourage all of these incredible women around the world. But I was gone for 10 days when Jane was in preschool. And um, when I got back, one of the other parents or a teacher, I can't remember, told me, she said, you know that while you were gone, Jane told everyone that you had moved to Malaysia. <laughs> she, was like, she just said, oh, my mom moved to Malaysia. My mom moved to Malaysia. And I thought, well, you know, that's a preschooler, concepts of time, travel. She probably doesn't get it. No big deal. But about three weeks later, I'm driving her home from preschool and I hear her sweet little voice from the back seat of the car. And she says, mom, I'm like, yeah, honey, why'd you come home? <laughs> Why did I come home? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're my daughter. I would never abandon you. I would never leave you. This is supposed to be a lifelong thing that we do together. You know, we're, we're in this together. I will never leave you. I went on a trip. I went to see my sister. Um, but I just thought, are you not upset? Like she was so happy. She's so independent. She was, she's such an, she's just such a go-getter. She was perfectly fine without me. And I'm like, you're not supposed to be okay without me. You needed me. <laughs> so this idea that I would leave her as an orphan, you know, it's one of our worst fears, isn't it? That we'll be abandoned that will be left, that will be rejected. She didn't have a problem with it. But think about all of our literature, all of our literature and our stories and our film. We have Huckleberry Finn, you know, Mark Twain's Wild West, Huckleberry Finn is off, that orphan that he is. We have Victor Hugo in France writing about Cosette and Les Mis. We have Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. We've got Broadway with Newsies. Of course, my childhood favorite, Anne of Green Gables, the, the spunky young girl who finally finds her home. And then just recently, we're, we're upping the game. We've got Alexander Hamilton. It's not just about one orphan, but it's two. Hamilton and Burr, both orphans, and they're not gonna, they're gonna not, not gonna miss their shot. They're gonna make a mark on the world, these orphans. And then Star Wars isn't just about sets 
of orphans. It's about generations of orphans. We've got Luke and Leah, Anakin, Grogu, Ray. It's just like generations of orphans. There's something about this idea of being orphans, being outsiders that captures our imagination. The Bible has orphan stories. Joseph is his parents, his dad is alive, but his brothers have sold him off. They've trafficked him. He's a trafficked young worker sent to Egypt. Moses is not abandoned, but sort of abandoned, sent off down the river. And then he's raised by Egyptian, the, the people who are oppressing his family. You've got the little war orphan, the little girl who ends up with the Syrian king Naaman. She's an orphan. Mordecai and Esther. Esther's in Persia. Her parents die. She's adopted by Mordecai. And Jesus, he was not an orphan by any means, but he was part of a blended family. Joseph is raising him as his own. These stories capture our imagination because they touch our very core fears, right? We have these core fears, the fear that I'm not wanted, I'm defective, something is wrong with me, the problems in my family are my fault, I'm incompetent, insignificant, my needs are never gonna be met, I need to fend for myself, I'm alone. These fears, haunt us, plague us. They're worse than the 10 plagues of Egypt. They, the enemy is after us to get us to believe these fears. And we love these stories because the orphan wins. So there's something in us that knows that God has a purpose for us. God, I'm not abandoned. I'm not rejected. I'm not alone. Jesus, there's really good news. Jesus says this even as before he goes to the cross, even before he knows what's going to happen to him, he says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. God is coming to us, and that's the good news. So this month, we're doing a series. It's called No Longer Orphans. Um, every week this month, we're going to be talking about um, being orphans. Today, we're going to talk about being orphans and outsiders. Um, next week, we're going to talk about a spirit of adoption. So today might be a little bit of a cliffhanger because we're going to talk about recognizing when we're outsiders and when we're orphans. And then next week, we'll talk about a spirit of adoption. Then we'll be talking about um, how to care for orphans and care and love on outsiders and so forth. And throughout this month, we've got three opportunities for giving too. Um, Kelly Joe's Adoption Fund is, um, and all these opportunities will be out in the foyer. Um, you, Kelly Joe is working to adopt children from South Africa. And so if you would want to give to that, you can find information about that. We have Care Portal, where we work with the local foster care system and our social services to support them. And then we have the Pregnancy Resource Center with Miss Maggie. There's Miss Maggie. You can learn more about that from her. But today I want to talk specifically about recognizing an orphan spirit. What does that mean? And why is it important? Romans 8, the book of Romans is all about comparing life under the law 
and the commandments and, and sin and life in the spirit and life in Christ as children of God. I want to read from Romans 8, 1 through 2. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there's this contrast, law, life under the law and life in the spirit. And then Romans 8, 14 through 17, we're going to go down a few verses. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. That's like saying, Daddy, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. In the New King James Version, it says it this way. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. I'm just going to take a minute to pray. Um, this message was really hard for me to prepare. I don't know why. Like I knew all week long that I wanted to preach this message, but I, I almost, I was like, it feels like spiritual warfare, right? I just believe there are people who are listening to this message that you've taken on an orphan or outsider spirit or heart or identity. You can put it any way you want, where I'm an orphan, I'm an outsider. And I feel like God wants you to see that and see what that does in your life. So Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that um, you would speak to people and do what only you can do. You can reveal our hearts. You can reveal what is inside of us. Lord, I just pray that if I have brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my friends, my son, the, your sons and daughters in the kingdom, that if we're behaving like orphans or outsiders or we've taken on that identity, I just pray that you'd reveal that to us today in Jesus' name. So another thing my, one of my kids does that one who's perfectly fine without me, as I said at the beginning, <laughs> she'll say, do you love me, mom? Asked me all the time. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course I love you. How much do you love me, mom? And I think that's something that all, a lot of kids do because there are, all, there, are books, there are books written along this theme of how much I love you. I love you to the moon and back. I love you as far as you know, you can see. I love you beyond the stars. You know, all of those things. There's this something in children, there's something in us that questions, do you love me? How much do you love me? Would you ever give me up for adoption? Am I an orphan? <laughs> Did I get switched at birth? My parents, my mom tells a story about how after I was born, they brought another little baby to her bed and she was quite upset. <laughs> You know, those stories of being switched at birth. Am I the real one? Am I the real thing? Am I really yours, Lord? 
those questions that plague our mind can give a foothold to that, 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 that fearful idea that makes us, that spirit that makes us fearful slaves. If there's a spirit of adoption, which we're going to talk about next week, what would the opposite spirit look like? It's that orphan spirit. And I just believe God wants us today to recognize when we fall into that pattern of thinking. Because when we're honest, we, it cultivates humility. And when we're humble, we can have empathy with others. And when we have empathy with others, we can have connection with them. Exodus 21, 21 through 22, excuse me, Exodus 22, 21 through 22. This is after the Israelites leave Egypt. God says to them, don't abuse or take advantage of strangers. You remember were once strangers in Egypt. Don't mistreat widows or orphans. There's lots of scriptures about this in the Old Testament when God's dealing with with the Israelites. He's constantly telling them, remember you were foreigners. Remember you were strangers. Remember you felt um, um, disenfranchised or um, exposed or vulnerable. Remember that so that you'll treat others that way. And then when you care for others, then you will remember where you came from. And it's this humbling service thing that we do that grounds us in our faith. It's also in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 11, 12, and 13. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. When we remember that we were once outsiders, we were strangers, we were orphans, and then when we care for, love outsiders, strangers, and orphans, we remember where we came from, and it keeps us full of wonder and gratitude for what Jesus does in our lives and the lives of others. So what is it about orphans and outsiders? First of all, they don't trust anybody, <laughs> do they? Watch Newsies. Watch all those little orphans in the Broadway musical Newsies. Or Annie, Orphan Annie. You just, you're reluctant to trust anyone. They also... They've learned to do that so they can survive. Their survival depends on it. Also, they don't know their identity. They don't know where they came from, or they're hiding their identity, or they have a conflicted identity. They try to lay low, hide in the shadows, be self-sufficient. Have you ever done that? Have you ever hidden away? I know I have. When I've felt rejected, what do I do? I withdraw even more. When I've made a mistake or hurt someone else, what do I do? I withdraw. When I'm disappointed or ashamed or, or there's resistance or roadblocks, what do I do? I back up, right? It's okay. Even the psalmist wrote about that. Psalm 55 is about the psalmist feels betrayed. And what does he say? Oh, that I wish I had wings like a dove so I could fly away. 
and the American ballad and him all fly away. You can hear the violin and the banjo. <laughs> these, are, these are those, this is what we encounter in life. I'm going to read from the story of, Mo I'm going to tell the story of Moses from the perspective of an outsider, of an orphan. And it's one of my favorite stories. So I hope you guys don't all, I don't tell the Moses story too much because it's one of my favorites. So I, God speaks to me a lot through it. But I want to tell it again from the perspective of watching how Moses's identity is shaped and how it's formed. So like we mentioned before, he's born of Hebrew parents in Egypt, where his parents are slaves. And Pharaoh orders all the women, all the Hebrew women, to throw the Hebrew male babies in the Nile so that they won't live. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Moses' parents say, no, we're not doing this. We're not throwing this baby in the Nile. But they do something close. <laughs> they, they make a little basket. <laughs> to protect him and they still put him in the Nile. And off they, they deliver him down the Nile. They're trusting God that God is gonna somehow preserve this baby. And they send this baby down the Nile. And what happens? Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket, brings the basket in, opens it up, sees it's a Hebrew baby and says, I'm gonna keep this baby and raise it as my own. She adopts him and she names him. I lifted him out of the waters. Waters represent danger and chaos. Moses is raised in Egyptian courts, and the historian Josephus says that he was raised to be the next pharaoh of Egypt. I did not know that. I know I mean, there's prince of Egypt, you get that idea, but I didn't realize Josephus thought he was going to, the history says that he was raised to be the next pharaoh of Egypt. He's a perfect example of a third culture kid. Raise your hand if you know what a third culture kid is. Oh, just a handful of us. We've got a handful of us in the room. Third culture kids are kids who were raised in another country. And so they start to identify with, um, so for example, I lived in Mexico as a teenager. I used to think I was Mexican for five years. I thought I was Mexican. I know you can't tell. But when I lived in Mexico, I was clearly not Mexican. <laughs> Everywhere I went, I stood out. Everyone knew, oh, there's, there's the gringa, there's the huera, you know? It was very clear that I was not Mexican. But I missed out on all the teen years of pop culture and all the jokes and all the music because this is before the internet. And so, you know, culturally, I felt Mexican, even though I didn't look Mexican. And then I moved back to the U.S. to go to school. And now I'm, I'm just normal. I look like everyone else in Utah. But I feel Mexican. And I'm like, but I'm not Mexican. And I'm not American. And it causes this, this real challenge. Often immigrants and foreigners feel this in America. Like, what am I? How do I fit here? Who am I? When you're raised in multiple cultures, you're called a third culture kid. You feel like an outsider. And Moses was definitely a third culture kid. Not only was he a third culture kid culturally, think, talk about socioeconomically. He had the wealth of Egypt at his fingertips. And yet he's like, I'm Hebrew. 
Hebrews 11, 24 through 25 says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. At some point, Moses made a decision. He said, I'm not taking on that other identity. I'm taking on the identity that God has for me. So Moses grows up in the courts of, of Egypt. One day he's looking out and about, he's out in the city, and he goes out to visit his own people, it says in Exodus 2. And it says that he saw that they were forced to work, and he looked at their burden. Moses looked at their burden, and during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. And the man replies, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Oh, boy. We have a couple problems here. First of all, <laughs> the, 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 the outsider thing begins right here. <laughs> Moses comes on the scene, and notice when he says he's looking both ways. <laughs> Whenever anyone is looking both ways before they do something, you can imagine something bad is about to go down. <laughs> if you find yourself looking over your back, looking this way, looking that, maybe that's a check, like maybe I shouldn't do what I'm about to do. <laughs> Moses is looking both directions, making sure no one is watching and he kills someone. That's pretty bad. The next day, he thinks it's hidden, but it's not, is it? He comes to his people and is he received by his people? Oh no. They tell him two things. You're not our prince. In other words, we owe you no loyalty and you can't rule us and you can't be our judge. You can't tell us what is right and wrong. Oh boy, Moses is like stepping back, stepping back. Acts 7.25 says Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Exodus 2, 11 through 15 says, then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to the, live in the land of Midian. Moses is afraid. He's looking both ways. He knows, he thinks everyone knows what he did. He's unsure who he can trust. So he flees and he hides. And thus begins this, thus continues this orphan outsider role. He's self-protecting, he's fleeing, and he hides, and he runs for his life to Midian. And Midian, he's about 30 years, 40 years old when this happens. So he's halfway through his life. He helps a shepherd woman named Zipporah in um, Midian. He ends up marrying her and they have a son. And the name of their son is Gershom. He names his son, I have become a stranger in a foreign land. So not only 
does he feel this way? He's actually naming it. He's calling it out. He's, he's cursing his family. We're strangers. We're foreigners. We don't belong. And every commentary I read, everyone says that to say that you're a foreigner or a stranger is to say, I'm vulnerable to exploitation. I'm vulnerable to danger. And this is how Moses feels. Perhaps you've felt like Moses at time, rejected, displaced. You know God has a call and purpose for your life. You know that there are people that you want to see set free. You know you have a family that you want released from its burden. But you feel like, I'm headed to Midian. I'm no use here. I'm out of here. And you feel abandoned outside of God's blessing and purpose. Perhaps you felt rejected. I don't know right from wrong. Nobody thinks I have something to say about what is right and wrong. But God did not abandon Moses or Moses' people. Exodus 2, 23 through 25 says, Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. Reminds me of Aaron's message last week about that Kairos timing. God knows when it's time to act. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't hold on to that feeling, those feelings. God is watching you. God hears your cries. He hears your groans. And he knows when it's time to act. So in the next scene, it's 40 years later. Don't you like how in the Bible, chapter two is, he's 40 and chapter three, he's 80. I don't like that. What, what was it like all those 40 years? Where do we find Moses? He's out tending his father-in-law's flocks. Moses doesn't even have his own flocks, guys. <laughs> he doesn't even have his own possessions. He's taking care of someone else's. And that's okay. Maybe God was teaching him how to lead another flock that wasn't his. Right? Maybe as he's, as he's leading Jethro's flocks, his father-in-law's flocks, Maybe God's preparing him for the day. He's just going to be working real hard leading another flock. He's out there stewarding those flocks. And he's taking the flocks far into the wilderness. And where does he end up? He ends up on Mount Sinai. Anybody recognize that name? Long before, long before Moses takes the Israelites to Mount Sinai, he's out there with Jethro's flocks with his father-in-law's flocks. And he's out there, and what does he see? He sees a burning bush out in the distance. He sees it, but he's like, the, the burning bush isn't burning up. Something is going on there. Something holy, something different, something remarkable is happening there. I'm gonna draw near. And so he does, he draws near. He says, I must go see it. So you might be out, in your wilderness, in Midian, taking care of something that you feel like is not yours, not doing what you feel called to do, but God is saying, 
there's something amazing out here happening. I'm out here in the wilderness. I'm out here in Midian. I've got something to tell you, even though you feel way off and far away from your family, your people, your heritage, your origins, I'm with you way out here, even in Midian, even out in this wilderness. And what, as, as Moses comes closer to that burning bush, to the presence, what happens? God calls his name, Moses, Moses. Or, I'm drawing you out of the water. I'm drawing you out of the water. Like He's reminding him his name. I'm, I've got you. I'm drawing you out. I see you. So Moses comes near, and what does he say? Here I am. Here I am. Just as I am. Here I am. Okay, Moses is on holy ground. <laughs> I love that the power and majesty and wonder of God comes to the wilderness and is there, and it is holy. Holiness comes to us. An amazing, wonderful, far out there God that we can't comprehend comes to us. It says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Moses is afraid. And then the Lord says, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress. I know they're under a harsh slave driver. Harsh slave driver. Remember that bondage of fear, slaves to fear, to that idea that we're worthless, that we shouldn't be heard, that God won't, that our needs can't be met, that we have under a harsh taskmaster. There's that slave driver. Yet, says the Lord, I'm aware of your suffering. And that's what God is saying to you today. I'm aware of your suffering. I'm aware of where you're at. I'm aware that you might feel abandoned, that you may be abandoned, that you may be rejected, that you may be alone. I have seen you, says the Lord. And I've come down to rescue them and rescue you from the power of Egypt and lead you out of Egypt into a good land. Okay, God says to Moses, you got to go. You got to go let them out of there. You got to go get them out of there. And Moses says, wait a minute. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answers, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. God's going to bring them right back to the place where Moses is right there in the wilderness. What are the things that happen? What does Moses say? Who am I to appear? Who am I to lead? When you're an orphan, when you're an outsider, the devil, the, that slave, that taskmaster would say, you shouldn't be seen, you shouldn't be heard. You're alone. That's exactly what Moses says. Who am I to be seen? Who am I to lead people? How can I be with other people? And God says, no, I am with you. 
And that is what I just want you to hear today. If you feel like an orphan or an outsider, God is with you. God is with you. I am with you. There's this idea that I'm a nobody, not seen or heard. So back to my favorite orphan, Anne of Green Gables. I don't know. I don't know if anybody watches Anne of Green Gables anymore. But she's this little spunky, imaginative orphan. Lived growing up in an orphanage, used just to work as a nanny, as a child tender. She hates being an orphan. And so what is the one thing she carries? She says, I'm Anne with an E. <laughs> her name. She just holds on to her name. And so whenever there's this time when a teacher is mean to her, and so the teacher turns her back and Anne goes up to the board and, and says, and the teacher says, Anne is a very, very bad girl. And Anne has to write it like a hundred times. So Anne goes up to the chalkboard and she takes all the Anne's and she adds E's to all of them. And she's like, you might make me do this mean thing, this wrong thing, but I'm at least going to be me when I do it. I'm going to be Anne with an E. Moses, I know your name. Joe, I know your name. Carolyn, I know your name. God knows our names. We get to be Sarah with an H, Anne with an E. We are seen, we are heard, God knows our name. This gets challenged later on. After all the Israelites, after the plagues of Egypt, the idolatry, the Ten Commandments, all of the wandering in the desert with these people, they're back at Mount Sinai, and Moses is like, I don't want to do this anymore, God. I can't do this. I can't do this. And what does God say? This is Exodus chapter 33. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week when we talk about a spirit of adoption. A spirit of adoption brings rest. That exhale. I can relax. I'm at home. You know that feeling when you, when you first become an adult and you leave home? This is if you have a good home that, you, that you're independent of. And I was raised with a good home. And I remember I would go home and you'd sit at the dinner table and it was like, oh, I can be me here. I can exhale here. I can rest here. I don't have to perform. I can just be me at this table. God reminds Moses, my presence is with you and you will have rest. And then Moses, just to clarify, do you really love me, God? Are you sure I'm not an orphan? Are you sure you didn't switch me at birth? <laughs> Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you were pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people? How will we be identified? How will people know I'm yours from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. The Lord knows us by name. He knows who you are. Maybe you don't know who you are. 
Maybe you've allowed the enemy to say you're abandoned, you're rejected, you belong in the wilderness, you're not part of this group or that group. But the Lord says, I am pleased with you and I know you by name. There's rest in my house. I'm going to finish with a story um, about Rosa Parks. I heard this story because it was her birthday on February 4th. Rosa Parks, who launched, inadvertently launched the Montgomery bus boycott in, this, in the 50s. So the 1st of December, 1955, Rosa Parks get a polite refusal to give up her bus seat and sparked a huge movement that changed the U.S. Rosa's journey that Thursday began just like many others. She finished her work. She boarded a bus home. And back then, the buses were segregated, right? So she was in the first row for the Black people on the back of the bus, just behind the seating reserve for white passengers. After a few stops, the bus filled up. When the driver saw that a white man was standing, he told Rosa and three other African-Americans to get up and give up their seats. But Rosa very politely refused, very quietly, very meekly positive, said she refused. When the police arrived, they told her they were gonna arrest her. And she said, you may do that <laughs> very softly. And they arrested her and they took her off the bus. But inspired by her arrest, the Montgomery bus boycott, boycott began and lasted more than a year. The simple act of nonviolent protest attracted national attention and eventually resulted in monumental changes to laws in the land. Here's what I want you to hear from this. Rosa Parks was a humble, quiet woman who said, I'm not an outsider. I belong on this bus. I belong in a seat. And I'm not going to submit anymore to that identity. Very simple. Having no idea of the consequences of what had happened. God used her to change everything. Sometimes we're wandering along as outsiders, and it's like, wait a minute, I'm not going to do this anymore. And it can be a very quiet, simple act that could have domino effects for everyone around us. Wouldn't that be amazing if we said, I'm not an orphan anymore. I'm not an outsider anymore. I'm not abandoned. I'm not rejected. I don't need to look both ways anymore. I can come honestly. So if you're in Midian today, I just want to say, God is redeeming time for you. There's a Kairos moment for you. I just want to encourage you this week. I am praying this week that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us when we act like orphans, when we act like outsiders, when we say, I don't belong in this seat. I don't have a place at this table. 
I just believe God wants to say, I just believe God wants all of us to see that this week and that we would shift and we would say to that bondage of fear, that spirit of that slave bondage fear of fear, and we would say, no, wait a minute. I don't receive that anymore. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. So um, we're going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing one song to close. And um, we're going to sing a song about Daniel. Another, another, Daniel, another in the fire. And Daniel was another person who was displaced, taken into a foreign land. He was, he was apart from his people. He had a few buddies, though, with him, which is incredible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the ones in the fire, not Daniel. But I think of them all together. They were in a foreign land, and they felt exposed, and they were put in danger. But God was with them. His presence was with them. So let's stand. And if you would, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, thank you that I've not received a spirit of a fearful slave or orphan. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me when I act like a fearful slave, when I act like an orphan, when I act abandoned, rejected, would you reveal it to me so I can reject that lie and reject that identity, reject that spirit? And I just say right now, I receive a spirit of adoption this week. Would you begin to transform my mind this week? Would you transform my thinking this week? Show me where I believe and act like I have to go to the back of the bus or I have to go into hiding. Show me when I'm looking both ways because I've done something wrong and I'm about to do something wrong. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you highlight that for us so that we stop in our tracks and come to that burning bush and say, wait a minute, I'm on holy ground. I'm a Moses. I'm a child of God. You want to draw me out of the waters. Help us, Lord. Catch us in our tracks this week. Holy Spirit, in your kindness, lead us to repentance, to change our thinking so we can be sons and daughters, children of God, free in your presence, resting, relaxing, enjoy even suffering with you though even the suffering we want to be with you at your table wherever you're at lord wherever you're at whatever you're doing we want to be with you right at the table prepare our hearts this week in jesus name